We at Global Nomad Hacks are peace heroes. By playing Peace and Harmony program during this episode, we help create one million pockets of peace by dissolving stress and tension. To be your own peace hero and get your own copy, go to peaceandharmonydownload.com. Welcome back to Global Nomad Hacks. Today, I'm excited to introduce to you to Melissa Del Toro Schaffner, who is, well, she's many things, but one of the things I love about her is her particular skills as a voice actor. But she is an amazing global nomad herself, and she's got some wonderful stories, and I look forward to sharing her with you. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. There was, you know, when I first heard you speak, of course, you were sharing a little bit of your voice actor piece and and uh, some of the characters that you had played. And it just, there was such delight and joy in your voice that it was like, I got to hear more of this. We've got to have her on the show. And <laughs> you've got, I'm sure there's some great story behind there and how you ended up that way. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up in voice acting, and then we'll get into the Global Nomad piece. Which one is the shorter one, abridged or unabridged? <laughs> I never can remember. <laughs> well, uh, so currently I'm in Peoria, Arizona. That's where I currently live and breathe. But the story is a long one down the road of pursuing voice acting. So I went to college for electrical engineering. So that's what I graduated from, from Penn State. So I don't know if any of your listeners are Penn Staters. Woo! <laughs> That's a very international school. So there's a lot of people from all around the world that attend Penn State. So I went to Penn State. I started their MBA program, decided that Pennsylvania, particularly Harrisburg, where I was at the time, was very small. I don't know if your listeners kind of sometimes feel like the city they live in is just too small for them, like not enough culture. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania is sort of like a very small town city. So I was like, oh. I need more. I need more than this. Where can I go? So I started trying to transfer my MBA that I had started out of Penn State into a different school. I actually landed at Seattle Pacific University, which is, I mean, Seattle's an amazing city. It's very similar to Pennsylvania in greenery and lushness and water and nature, just like 50 times bigger. (laughs) (laughs) So I felt very at home in the Northwest. And I started working there in in construction, kind of fell into that. That's a long story in itself. But the short story to the answer of voiceover is I started a class at University of Washington in voiceover while I was working in Seattle. I guess that must have been 15, 15 years ago. And I said, I really, I really want to do this, but it doesn't seem like a practical career choice. I mean, <laughs> you know, how do you make money doing something like this? And so I stayed practical for the next, you know, 15, 20 years. And then when we moved here to Arizona via a lot of different cities, but when we moved here to Arizona and after my father died nine months later, I decided, why am I not doing voiceover? Like I'm doing every other career, you know, career choice. And it's like, it just kept on asking me to take a chance on it. So finally, I leaped in a couple of years ago and and, uh, started putting myself out there as a voice actor and coaching and practicing. And I landed a gig at with ACX Audible doing an audiobook. And I'm sure, you know, a lot yep. of people have listened to audiobooks. For sure. I mean, I think uh, I when I was doing my dissertation, for example, I remember it was the best way for me to consume a lot of them because I could be outside and I'd go on a hike and I would, 
you know, listen, of course, people made fun of me because my sister in particular, because I was doing research on mindfulness, but because on an audiobook you can play it faster. I was, you know, doing research, listening to research around mindfulness at three times speed. <laughs> <laughs> we have to do it that way sometimes, you know. <laughs> that's really funny. So yeah, so that's how I got into it. You know, I always had that sort of dream I was talking about when I lived in Seattle. I was talking about I'd love to be the voice of a, in a Pixar movie someday. And, you know, that that's like your big, you know, bucket list dream. A lot of voice actors have that. And so I just kept going. And now I'm here down the road and I've had an opportunity to do a lot of different kinds of voiceover and, you know, just keep moving forward, keep you know getting opportunities and getting to know different people. And that's why I'm excited to be here with you today. Oh, that's so wonderful. Can you share with us one of your uh, favorite characters that you have done? Because <laughs> I, I remember, I can't remember which, what the name of it was, but it was just so... I mean, it reminded me of joy, you know, with the joy from, I think it was a Pixar movie. Oh, that's funny. I wonder if you're referring to the monkey bear. Maybe it's the monkey bear. <laughs> because the monkey bear voice was something like this. And he was like in one of my, my episodes in Untold Tales. He was a little tiny alien monkey bear. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I mean, as a mother, I mean, I always tried to do voices and whatever when you're reading books to my kids. But as an adult, we forget that that kind of depth in stories is really is often missing. People just read sort of particularly in English, they just read in monotone. And there's so much more depth to our language and to, you know, to different voices. So uh, I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. So besides all of that, and the wonderful thing of today, <laughs> which, you know, wonderful and terrible, whatever, we're stuck in our homes, we're having to build you know, temporary studios wherever we are so that we can have Zoom calls and, and meetings. And, but it's all about the voice and it's all about yeah. communication. And that requires having the right tools so that we can capture the voice properly. Absolutely. What are some of the things that, that you've used as tools in order to make sure that you can consistently have that quality of a voice when you're in your right. remote studio? Right. Oh, it's a big question because there's a lot of different areas of it. I guess equipment-wise, it's really easy to get pretty affordable equipment these days as far as a good microphone that enhances your voice or is good for your voice. You know, I have sort of a mid-range voice, so pretty generic frequencies. <laughs> you know, I don't have a super low bass voice or, you know, really high voice or anything like that that needs to, you know, a special kind of microphone. I actually have an NT, a Rode NT1A. I really like it. It's a pretty standard sort of $200 range microphone. And then I actually upgraded my software because when you first start out and you're like, I just want the most cheapest or free software that I can get my hands on. But one of my first clients was an audiobook client and I was editing his book for him. And he actually gave me a crash course in Adobe Audition. So that's what I use for my software. It's got some really nice features that you can pair with another software called Isotope or RX67, whatever the version is now <laughs> when you're listening. But there's some really great tools to get the mouth smacking. I mean, I can feel right now I've got a little bit of mouth smacking going on from breakfast. You know, we were talking about your know, chocolate croissants and milk and inflammatory stuff. So there's a lot of different tools that you can get to make your sound sound really clean, even if your voice at the time of 
recording maybe doesn't sound so clean. <laughs> yes, for sure. And I use Audition as well for recording my yeah. podcast. I love it. It's And it's actually pretty easy to get going on it. It's not, yeah. the Adobe does a great job and they also have incredible tutorials on yeah. YouTube, which makes it so much easier. But really, I mean, the, the importance of having clean audio and how that impacts how people listen and receive, particularly when, whether it's an audiobook or a podcast or for our listeners, I'm sure you have, there's certain podcasts where you may love the content, but the sound quality is so bad that it's just not, it's just not enjoyable to listen to. And, and it may be that the, per, you know, the person's voice is actually great and it overcomes the fact that they have bad audio. But in a lot of cases, it's really the other way around. They've got a great voice, but the audio is so bad that it's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I listen to a lot of audiobooks with my daughter. She's four. And I do notice those things. One of the biggest things, I guess, when you're traveling around is your noise floor on the environment around you. So what you're hearing right now from me, I'm in a 360 soundproofed studio. It's not very big. It's not very small. You know, it's, it doesn't sound like I'm in a fishbowl. It doesn't sound tinny. You can pick up all of those things in the audio, even if you clean up the noise floor. So you just want to make sure that basically that you're in a padded room, <laughs> that you're in a padded room talking to yourself. How about that? I think we all could use one of those these days. <laughs> yeah. So, so. so thank you so much for sharing that, because I do think that those are some really important tips that uh, can help anyone. You don't have to be in as a voiceover actor. You don't have to be a podcaster, although many people are trying their sinking their feet into that and trying a little bit, whether it's as a guest or, and yeah. very importantly, if you are a guest, it's important to take all of these things into account as well, because it's, you know, it's not just your interviewer, it's the guest. And I mean, I've had people, you know, call in that, that I'm supposed to be doing interviews with and their sound quality is so bad that I've just said, we have to yeah. re rebook or it's just not yeah. going to work. So I think it, it's really important. I want to go a little bit to your background or a lot to your background because you've got some incredible adventure stories. You've been quite a nomad in your previous life. And I would imagine as soon as the lockdown is lifted, there'll oh, yeah. be a lot more adventures ahead for oh, you. Yeah. So where do we start? I, well, I know where we'll start because I love the fact that you I went through a period of, as you referred to, as being homeless in Austin. And a lot of us have the experience recently of of homelessness in various degrees, whether it's we're in transition and we're sort of renting or not renting, but like we don't have that sense of place that we used to have uh, yeah. when we're constantly moving around. So it's somebody else's home, when, particularly when you're renting furnished. Yeah. So how did you end up in Austin and how did you end up in this sort of Homeless in Austin. Homeless status. <laughs> and to be fair, I mean, I wasn't the kind of homeless with no safety net. Obviously, I had my family, my parents. Um, you know, I had the people that I had left behind in Seattle that would be willing to help me. So I do have a heart for people who find themselves in a particularly bad situation with, with mental health, you know, as a challenge. So basically, I sold when I lived in Seattle, I lived there for 10 years and I sold everything I owned one day. I was like, I'm done. Like it's come to a close. 10 years is a nice round number for me to move on. I was basically looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> so 
in the Northwest, I didn't really connect with a lot of people and I really wanted to be married. My, I was about 34 years old at that time, still single. So I decided I'm going to move. And I think that a lot of global nomads kind of get this, you know, crisis at some point where it's like my life isn't working like I need it to work or I just need a new adventure. I'm bored. I want to see something else before I die. (laughs) So I moved to Austin and I actually moved there via Florida, via my parents' house in Florida. So I got rid of everything I owned. I shipped my car to Florida and then I drove with my parents to Austin, Texas. And basically I set up before I got there a couple of pet sitting assignments. So that's actually how I say I was homeless, but it's kind of a technicality because I didn't have anywhere to live. But miraculously, I found five house sitting assignments that were all kind of people related to each other that were traveling. So each family was like traveling to Europe for a month, (laughs) you know, where they were traveling somewhere for two weeks. So they all had pets and plants that they wanted to and mail, you know, things. And they also wanted security for their house. And so I had a good background of taking care of people's house as a kid. You know, I took care of my parent or my parents' house, my neighbor's house, pets. So I basically moved into these people's houses and um, you know, gave them my my driver's license, you know, any information they need for security for safety. I did it through a website, the first one through something called housecarers.com. I put my profile up there and the first lady found me. But that's how I did it. I pet sat for a couple different families. And thankfully, they landed like one after another. A couple of them overlapped. So I keep my stuff in my car and just sleep at whatever house I needed to stay with the animals to make sure they were fed. And some of them were sick and needed medicine. So it's great because um, they didn't have to traumatize their poor animals by putting them in boarding in a boarding um a place like PetSmart or whatever. So they could, the animals could stay in their house. I was there keeping an eye out for anybody, you know, looking around for mischief. And I had a place to sleep while I looked for a job in Austin, Texas. And I would network during the day while the pets were sleeping. I'd go out and go to every place and network and, you know, give out my resume of what I had done before. And thank God, yeah. <laughs> you know, thank well, God it, it really out. seems like that is a but so I recently interviewed um, the Argyles, and they they have a company called Travatical, and it's really about they you know they go house sit around the globe, and they do them in sort of one month stints all yeah. over the place, and they you know have developed these incredible relationships where people actually have them come back even when they're home to say yeah, like hey you know so cool. I want to <laughs> learn more about you we got to have more FaceTime so yeah. I mean I think there's incredible opportunities one of the other interviews I did actually earlier on in the show, um, was this gentleman who he was homeless for a year. He sold everything he had and he had, you know, had been a former executive in Singapore. He was from from New Zealand and just said, nuts to this. I need to go see the world. Yeah. I need to go do something different. And, you know, brought his laptop and and kept a blog about it. And it, you know, I just think that there's incredible opportunities. People think travel or seeing the world or going somewhere different you have to be rich to do it. And that's right. not the case. That's not the no. case at all. No, 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 no. Yeah. And so I think it's it's really interesting. What brought you, are you a musician? What brought you to Austin? Oh, so I had lived in Texas before mm-hmm. with a, with a, with an internship, a summer internship. I had lived in Las Colinas, which if people know, it's in the Dallas 
area. And I always thought Austin, Austin was so cool because it was warm. And I thought, I'm going to go down there, meet a cowboy, <laughs> you know, and it's a lot like Seattle where it's a young population. It's got, it's like the blue dot in a red state, they say. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a very, uh, I love Austin. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an easy it's, sell for me. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, and the music scene is just, yeah. I mean, phenomenal. it's, who doesn't want to go to Austin? I mean, I was there for two years. I loved it. It's an amazing city. I, I got, I met my husband there. <laughs> Can't complain. And he's from LA, so it's really weird. I was going to say, did you find a cowboy? <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to Texas to meet a California boy. It's kind of funny. There you go. So was most of this sort of the extensive travel that we'll get into a little bit more, because you had some really cool adventures from everything from traveling around in uh, Europe and, and Russia and dog sledding in Alaska and here and there. And I mean, it's one thing to get the travel bug, but it's another thing to be living in different places. Did you do most of that prior to having a partner? or And so were you doing that alone? Or is your husband also a travel addict like you? And <laughs> that's a really great question that no one has ever asked me. So you're <laughs> hearing it first here, people. <laughs> so my husband is not a traveler like me. He likes a simpler life. And so sometimes we have butt heads on that because I really value travel. I think it makes you it makes you just a better human being, in my opinion, because you you hear how different people communicate and how they eat and how they cross the street and how they flush the toilet. And it's just, you know, it makes it it humanizes everything that we do. and, And there's no one right way. But I traveled before I had kids and before I met my husband about 99%. And I would encourage anyone, if you are single and you're scared to travel or whatever, I think just do it. Because when you're a solo traveler, there are so many people out there that want to help you make it to your next destination. (laughs) But, you know, I am going to raise a traveling daughter because it's just my biggest goal is to grow my voiceover business so that I can afford to take my mom and my daughter to see the Northern Lights before my Mm. mom dies. I mean, that is like my biggest thing is like, that is what I am going to do that. (laughs) I don't know how. (laughs) Aurora Borealis is really spectacular. Yes. Yes. I need to take them there. So, so yes, I've, I've been traveling since I was a little kid. My parents instilled that in me very young. You know, they're from Puerto Rico. They moved here to the States. We used to go to Florida, you know, once a year. It's just, we just traveled. That's what we did. and. It just, we met so many amazing people around the country and I just could never understand just staying in one place. But I also don't have that stability of, you know, generations and generations of people living in one spot. So that is something that you do miss, but you kind of get the other side of it where you make just a global family. Absolutely. Which is really amazing. What are some of the favorite places where, because I, as we talked before in the green room and in our previous conversation, there was a lot more of just sort of, I think we share that that passion and that appreciation for the social connections you make when you're moving around. And a lot of them, the most wonderful ones are those serendipitous, where it's like you happen to be sitting next to each other on a train, and next thing you know, you've made a best friend for life. And it's so it's nothing that's sort of a planned interaction. It's serendipity. And, you know, you may end up going to visit that person in a whole nother country or whatever it is. Yes. What are some of your favorite places and experiences and that have mm. been like that? <laughs> oh, 
Oh, listeners, if I could just have your ear for like 24 hours. <laughs> I have one that comes to mind and I'm going to give her a shout out. Okay. First of all, one of my favorite locations besides New York City, which where I lived for five years is Edinburgh, Scotland. I'm going to give you a shout out because Scotland, you sing to my soul. I went there single and I swear I was going to leave with, you know, in a Scottish wedding with a man in a kilt. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, dad, get ready to wear a kilt. And he was like, I'm not wearing a skirt. <laughs> you know, Puerto Rican guy, he's very macho. But I would say one of the most interesting relationships is my salsa dancing teacher friend in Scotland, Anna La Cubana. No, so she's a, a Cuban, <laughs> Cuban lady. She, well, that's what she is um, in her social media. But mm-hmm. Anna, I met her in a small coffee shop. I was hungry and I was staying in a in an air, the host, not a hostel. Um, what do they call it now? <laughs> I haven't been traveling for all this year. And it's just like uh, it's called a um, 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 they're like a little hotel. Listeners help me out. It's like a little hotel and it's not a hostel. It's like an Airbnb, but it's in Europe. Do you know what that's called? Oh, <laughs> but they're not um, hostels. What is that? Oh, you mean the ones that, like when you're hiking in the Alps and stuff? Those little places, or there... it was a little, it was a little place, and I, I will kick myself after this interview because I'll remember it. Because you know, at three in the morning is when you remember these kinds of things. Absolutely. But it was a little. It was like a little. <laughs> it was a, like a little family-owned hotel on a very famous little road in Scotland in Edinburgh. Um, and maybe I'll put it in the show notes because people were like, I need to know this place. But it was just a, <laughs> it was a hop, skip and a jump away from a little restaurant. I got hungry. And then there were these two girls in there and they were Cuban. And when I heard them speaking, I was intrigued because I was like, oh, hmm, Caribbean accent, you know, like you don't hear that. And I'm in Scotland. So how weird. And so I made a friend for life. I'm still friends with her. That was a million years ago. Um, she's an amazing individual and I love watching these p- friends that I made grow and evolve and, and their kids grow up. And, you know, it's just so like, I would have never met her. How am I going to meet somebody like that? You know, so, I love that. And I think, it, you know, the magic, that's where the magic of social media really comes into play when, I mean, I, I was joking with my cousin the other day because her son is on this sailboat, this, you know, semester on a sailboat. And she's like, we haven't had contact for you know, for two months. And I, and I was like, you know, but back in the day when we went away to school or went away, like our parents didn't hear from us for two months. I mean, we're just, <laughs> the reason he's, you know, out of touch is they're out on a sailboat and they're off, you know, off the main waters and they don't have access, cell phone access, but we never had any of that. And yet when he comes off that boat, he's going to be, the first thing he's do going to do is probably get on, you know, Instagram or Facebook and post all his pictures and, you know, reconnect with his community. and. We didn't have that back in the day, but now we can reconnect or connect with the people that we do serendipitously interact with or or connect with. It's so good. Yeah. People hate on social media, but it is so good because I can still keep in touch with the 70-year-old lady that I dog sledded with in Alaska. (laughs) It was just awesome. I was like, I want to be with you when I grow up. (laughs) We all need more inspirations like that for sure. Yes. For sure. And I know you also spent some time in Russia. How did that happen? I did. So it's so funny because I'm literally sitting here trying to answer my question for your listeners like on the fly. I cannot (laughs) think of what those hotels are called. But anyways, yeah. So I took Russian. I took the Russian language for five years in middle school and high school. So 
when we went to Russia in high school, I was a chicken. Like I was so scared. I was like, I'm not going to Russia because I won't like the food. You know, like I don't like borscht. You know, that's that's how high schoolers think. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to this one of a life one time once in a lifetime trip because I don't like the food, you know, like, come on, you know, but I had decided when I, um, I quit my job in Seattle. That's the Seattle part that I was telling you all about. I quit my job in Seattle. I decided to go to, um, live with my sister in London for a month. And so I, I left and for three months I traveled after I had my job in Seattle and I quit that whole chapter of my life. I traveled for three months. I live with my sister in London for one. And I asked her, Hey, Diana, would you like to go to Russia with me? <laughs> and she's like, uh, yeah. So, um, I, I secured my, you have to get visas and paperwork. So I secured that before I left Seattle, I secured that before I went to Europe. Cause you have to do all that stuff ahead of time. I got my paperwork and then she and I went to Moscow and to St. Petersburg. It's just it's a different world. Like as an American woman, we got off of the plane in, was it in Moscow? And it's a smaller, it's a smaller operation. So basically, I don't know if anyone here remembers the Samsonite luggage, the gorilla that takes your luggage and like throws, (laughs) like (laughs) my luggage literally arrived with no wheels and it had wheels when it got on the plane. Like they threw my luggage around so much that it that I had, when I left the airport, I looked like I had been beaten <laughs> because I was dragging my luggage behind me like a dead body, just, you know, because it was like oh, just dragging no. through the snow. <laughs> it's winter time in Russia, which even Napoleon couldn't survive that. So I'm with my sister. We look like I was in my 30s, but I looked like I was 16. And so all of these dudes, you know, leaning up against dirty taxi cabs, you know, sort of like they call them jitneys or, mm-hmm. you know, like they're looking at us like we're a wounded deer on the Serengeti. Like they're looking at us like we had dollars just like pouring from our from cuts in our coats, just pouring on the ground. Like I was like, we are going to get taken right now. <laughs> and I had read in the tour guide book because I used all of Rick Steves tour guide stuff. Samantha Brown and Rick Steves are like my travel gods. (laughs) And I had read somewhere that Russians like to negotiate to to like haggle. Mm -hmm. Right. So using the I don't know, the seven words I had learned in high school Russian. (laughs) I'm like. This is not good. And I'm arguing like, you can take me seriously, right? (laughs) Of course. And all these men were looking at me like, just, just get in the car, you know, (laughs) just, just whatever, just get in the car. It was really a lot of fun. We met a lot of great people there that we stayed in Hotel Nacional there, which is a very... Mm -hmm. In Russia, it's like you either have a really nice place or a really crappy place. There's not really stuff in, in between. between. You don't have like a little pension and bed and exactly. breakfast. And, yeah. Exactly. Like in Spain, you can find every kind of thing. Um, you know, Scotland was amazing. But in Russia, it's either quite expensive and you get like, you know, the hot tub on the in the penthouse <laughs> treatment or, you know, something that's much less so we decided to splurge in Moscow and it was worth it because we stayed across from the Kremlin and the Red Square. And that was 
amazing, especially at Christmas, because nobody does Christmas like Russia. Nobody. Uh Uh-huh. I did not know that. Beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah. What an adventure. And and, I mean, what a (laughs) treat for you to be able to do that with your sister. I think there's something that is really, actually, right before we got on this call, I was talking to my sister. And we don't live together. We don't see each other very often. But when we do get together, you know, we always have so much fun. And we've never, you know, we've done some little travels together. And I I swear, every time we get into trouble, and that's sort of part of the fun. Yeah. Um, And we certainly (laughs) meet, you know, the thing with a sibling is that when you travel together, you don't necessarily have to do everything together. Whereas sometimes when you travel with friends, there's this like, okay, what's our itinerary for the day? And, you know, there's, I mean, there's always compromise as a travel partner. Um, But with a sibling, it's much easier to say, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to go do something else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like just arguing with, you know, somebody about what museum and how are you going to do the museum? Are you Mm going to stand in the lines? Are you going to meander? Like, that's why I would advocate if you are single, just travel. Like, Mm -hmm. it's nice to have a travel partner to reminisce the memories about, you know, like, Because that's the one thing that I missed is that I don't have anyone to talk to about what I what I experienced while I was traveling. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that it makes me a little sad, you know, because you want to have that person. But at the same time, I had a blissful amount of peace and adventure that (laughs) you don't really get when you have two minds sort of like wanting to have the same trip. So, well, so as you were talking about your you know, wishing that you had someone to share that with. Do you integrate some of that into your podcast and your science fiction storytelling? Or is that, I mean, I do feel that travel and the new perspectives that it provides really influence everything that we do, you know, everything that we do. It's sort of, it becomes part of who you are. Yeah. So what Heidi's talking about is I have a podcast that I narrate called Untold Tales. And it's a sci-fi short story podcast. So it's a different kind of podcast than what we're doing right now. But, you know, it always helps to have lots of different global experiences. It brings almost a four-dimensionalness to a character because the different cadences of the languages, you can pick that up and it's very beautiful. You know, it's almost like a bird call, like the rhythm that you speak the language with, you know, you can tell where it's from. Mm-hmm. You know, the Irish have, even if you didn't do an Irish accent, you'd still know who it was, you know, because they have a song to it. And I would say I do use some of the people that I've met. Uh, We in Russia, we did meet this one woman that was like an airline attendant and my sister had lost her ticket or I don't know. She she just needed to reprint her airline ticket. And she was like, you know, she's like, ticket, ticket, (laughs) ticket. And my sister's like, what are you saying? What are you saying? saying, Ticket. Ticket. <laughs> and she was saying, give me your ticket. But, you know, you're an American and you hear ticket and you're like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> take it? Are you saying, are you telling me to take it? Take what? Yeah, take it, take it. <laughs> so um, it's really fun to have all of the, that depth of ex- travel experiences to to um give life to different characters and different stories. And, you know, I used it's funny because my dad is Puerto Rican. You know, he still is, I guess, even He's passed, but he's still Puerto Rican, even though he's passed. <laughs> and he sounded a lot like Ricky Ricardo. Oh, Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> and, he, and he hated that. Oh, he hated that so much. He hated it so much. But I loved it because I loved the rhythm and the sound of his voice. And I would 
mimic it. And he thought I was mocking him. But I loved the sound of the sound of the words and the formation of the letters and, you know, just the expression. It's just every language of every person that listens to this podcast. It's so beautiful. And um, it's kind of cool to be able to harness it and use it to um, to give depth to a character. Oh, for sure. It's funny. I have to I have to share a story with you because you were talking about the ticket. Uh, (laughs) My first experience. So I grew up in the Boston area. Um, oh, okay. And my very first experience with being in the South, my sister went to school in Virginia, and I helped her. We, we drove down to help her move in one year for um, for the beginning of school. And I wake up in the morning, and I was sitting having my coffee on the front stoop of her place. And this little girl came up, and she was like, ha! And, <laughs> and I just looked, and I'm Excuse like, me? what? And she's like, ha! Ha! <laughs> I, thought she like had some, I thought she had something caught in her throat. And then my sister <laughs> walks out and the little girl looks at her and goes, ha! And my sister's like, oh, hi! <laughs> You're like, uh, does this child need help? <laughs> and I, I mean, I literally did not know until my sister responded. It didn't register in my brain that she was just trying to say hi. That is but so I'd never funny. heard thing. I'd never heard the Southern accent that strong before, you know. Growing up in the in the north, it was just not you know we just didn't hear Absolutely. it. Yeah, I mean, and and it's and it's funny because like you're saying, like when I went to Scotland, they speak English there. I mean, they speak English, but it's such a heavy brogue that half the time I had to like really stop and focus and and concentrate on what they were saying to me, even though we're speaking English. And I'm mm-hmm. sure people may be listening to my voice say, "Wow, she talks really fast." You know, and, and in New York, you can't talk fast enough <laughs> in New York City. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Really now, language is a beautiful thing. And, and, uh, and, and it's so fun to play with and to learn other languages and, and explore. And I think, you know, I just recently interviewed another gentleman who has a, um, an online language program called Live Lingua. Oh, nice. And there's just, I mean, learning new languages are, is such a gift. And but it's getting the subtleties of the accent that are so yeah. hard. It's like you can learn the yeah. words, you can learn the grammar, but until you get the sort of the flow and the lilt, it comes across as sort of robotic. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I'll never speak French. I, I I try. It was my father's native tongue. I will never. I cannot master the subtlety of the French language at all. <laughs> but you speak Spanish, I assume. I do. You do. And your husband, your so your full name, so you have you said Puerto Rican, I assume you said because yep. you said your family's mm-hmm. from Puerto Rico. So the 100%. Del Toro is Puerto yep. Rican. Schaffner is definitely not Puerto Rican. So is your husband German? <laughs> well, his roots are Polish Jew, Polish oh, Jew, Polish Jew. So yeah. yeah, so he's Jewish but non-practicing. We practice we we practice Buddhism in our family, but I have a Catholic background. He has I don't know. He's been everything for a hot minute. <laughs> but yeah, his family is is of Jewish descent. I think Ashkenazi actually. Oh wow. Yeah. Very so interesting. um that was important whenever I got pregnant because obviously there's different genetic considerations that you need to know about if you have, you know, those kinds of genes in your blood. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So interesting. And and I bet I mean probably both coming from very those are two very different cultures, Puerto Rican yeah. and the the Polish Jewish culture, but 
clearly he if he's been living in California has become somewhat Americanized, I would imagine. <laughs> but the moms are the same. The moms are the same. <laughs> the moms are the same. So, yeah. That's Jewish funny. moms and Puerto Rican moms have a lot more in common than you think. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Oh, my God. Well, that's a whole nother conversation for another yeah, day. For sure. Um, for sure. Uh, Melissa, I'm just seeing the time running out, and that makes me so sad because we could go on forever. <laughs> Uh, but it's been such a delight having you on the show today. How can folks find you if they want to learn more about the voice server? And we didn't even touch or, touch on some of the other wonderful things that you're doing with accountability <laughs> coaching, and et cetera, et cetera. But how can people find you if they want to learn a little bit more about what you're working on? Yeah, um, two easy places. I'm actually revamped. Well, maybe when this podcast goes live, it will already be revamped. So we'll see. My website is probably a great place because there's a contact form on there if people wanted to contact me. It's melissadeltoro.com. So it's one L, two S's, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-D-E-L-T-O-R-O. But I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. And then, um, yeah, if you want to go to Untold Tales, that podcast is pretty much on every every known player in the universe. Can I say that? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, but it's on the major ones where Heidi's uh, podcast is as well. Apple and, and Google podcasts and Stitcher and all those places. But yeah, those are two um, touch points that you can um, find me on my website. You'll find uh, a little social media bar that you can find me on Instagram. Da, 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 da. Awesome. So, and we'll yeah, make sure I'm we on. have all the links in the show notes so people yeah. can find you and connect with you and link with you and all of that um, and learn more. And and maybe, who knows, we've got lots of people that are writing great books these days that might need a, a new uh, voiceover book? narrator. Um, yeah. Because that's, you know, some it's sometimes it's nice to use your own voice, but some voices don't sound so good at three times speed. I'm not sure why, because it could fit very fast. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, that's a whole nother conversation of whether or not you should do your own narration. I mean, podcasting is one thing, but when you're talking books and when you're talking long form, I mean, it's it's definitely like being an athlete. You would not walk into a gym and just start lifting weights. I mean, it is a lot. So for sure, if if people listening are thinking about doing some audio products, I'd really encourage you to do research before actually, you know, getting into the process because <laughs> it's a lot of heavy lifting. For, for sure. For sure. For sure. That's one of those things that sometimes it's better to just ask a professional. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, Global Nomads, for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you haven't already, uh, please take a moment and subscribe so you don't miss any of the great upcoming interviews. And if and we always appreciate our rating and review, but please don't forget to let us know if you have so we can share back a little love. All right, thanks for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>